0: that works. I've been told my microphone's a little quiet so if anybody has any trouble uh, hearing me then feel free to uh, give me a wave or a shout. Sorry. Okay so uh, yes today I want to talk about some fairly recent research I undertook looking at a specific burial uh, that was found in Stanway just outside of Colchester in Essex. It's called the Doctor's Burial. Um, It's a unique burial uh, that had that kind of branches the late Iron Age to early Roman transition. So the transition between prehistory and history in Britain. Um, And it's unusual because of the range of grave goods that were found within the burial, which were interpreted by the excavators as serving both a medical function, but also a magical function. So I'll just give you a little bit of background. The site itself was excavated between 1987 and 2003 by the Colchester Archaeological Trust, uh, ahead of gravel extraction at the site. Um, it's, uh, this is the volume that uh, they produced in 2007, which is available to download for free, if anybody would like to, from the Archaeology Data Service. <clears throat> the site itself, circled here in red, is just outside of the modern town of Colchester. In the late Iron Age, when the site was uh, founded, it lay outside of what we call an, an oppidum, so uh, a major centre of occupation during that period. Um, But it was also a contested region and uh, after AD 43 and the the invasion of Britain by uh, Emperor Claudius and the Roman army, they founded a legionary fortress at the site. So there was a a period of domination over the local populace and it was during this period that this burial was interned. The site itself is multi-period. starts off as a middleline age farmstead. It's very much an agricultural site. Uh, but by the first century BC, we have the construction of a large enclosure, uh, a burial enclosure, Enclosure One here, uh, which is the first burials that under, are undertaken on the site after the life of the, uh, the farmstead has gone out of use. And very quickly in that period, just across the, uh, the invasion of Britain, we see the establishment of three more burial enclosures, three, four and five, Uh, which have themselves a a whole host of burials. And my uh, research really just focused on one burial within one enclosure, but I wanted to give you a sense of how many different burials and different types of burials were at the site during the time. So in enclosure five, where the doctor's burial is located, we have evidence for a mortuary enclosure, pyre sites. We have a number of other important burials, which were called the brooches burial and the mirror burial. Um, But I want to focus today on the doctor's burial. This is just to give you an indication of the diversity of uh, burial rites that were undertaken during the period. This is the doctor's burial, um, a photo of the excavation at the time. It's a cremation burial, uh, dates to around AD 40 to AD 50. And here is a, a plan of all of the different grave goods that were found within the burial, which was excavated in the summer of 1998. Um, the reason it was called the Doctor's Burial is because of this find. This is the one of the earliest known examples of a full surgical kit that was found in Britain or in many places across Europe. Um, it forms a unique uh, uh, set of implements, which I'll talk to in a little bit more detail in a minute. But this is why it was uh, named the Doctor's Burial. And this grew drew a lot of interest from different areas and particularly after the publication of the volume in 2007. We saw lots of newspaper articles which related to potentially the, the person in this burial being a, a druid, um, based on both the medicinal uh, aspects of some of the great goods found, but also some of the magical aspects of, uh, of the grave goods found. And um, What I wanted to do with my research was to have a little bit more of a deeper dive into the burial itself, and try and dispel some of these, these myths and complications as we heard from uh, Professor Hutton earlier about the, uh, the paganism involved uh, and there has been pagan rites associated, modern pagan rites associated with this site as well. But uh, calling the person a druid uh, I think uh, allows, doesn't allow us to really see the complexity of the burial rites involved, the supernatural elements involved, the belief systems involved when we take a deep dive. So my research looked at two aspects, materiality and performance, to try and really get a better sense of what these items were and how they related to the overall performing of rights in this period. Let's go back to the surgical instruments. Here is a replicated version of the instruments so you can see them in a little bit more detail. And as you can see, they are quite a diverse range of implements, which include saws, forceps, scoop probes in this period, they would have been quite gruesome instruments to use, I would imagine. Um, but they, as, as, despite the fact that they are referred to as a surgical kit, um, is, is maybe slightly a misnomer. They are a collection of different instruments that were brought together over time. What we have here is importations from the Roman world, where we see many parallels to uh, Roman military context and surgical kits uh, used there by medics but we also have some implements there that uh, were made of iron and are likely of more local manufacture. And what we might see is that they're replicas of uh, instruments found elsewhere. So it's probably better to see this as an amalgamation of items over time to create a surgical kit rather than a a, a medic's kit that uh, is used by um, a a person of um, a particular skill set. And it's also important to realize that these items themselves, and uh, uh, this is uh, well uh, established in archaeology more generally, have a life cycle of themselves. So the creation of iron implements in the, in the Iron Age has been uh, likened to some, to uh, magical processes. The ability of metal workers to be able to create one item out of another, turn it into a liquid form and reformulate it, may have been seen as to have some sort of magical or mysterious property. Um, The deposition of these items as well, many parallels that we see on the continent are found in ritual contexts, are placed in watery uh, locations, which have a very high uh, uh, concurrence of uh, of, uh, ritual aspects in this period. And therefore, the deposition of these items in the grave may not necessarily reflect um, the ownership. It may reflect more of a ritual or belief system uh, aspect associated with it. But it wasn't the only item in the grave that was considered potentially of a medical function. Um, We have uh, these items here, which is a saucepan, but also a straining bowl. The straining bowl itself had the remains of some environmental uh, material in them, which were undertaken uh, environmental samples. And the material that was extracted is called Artemisia, which some of you may have, uh, have been heard of. This has lots of parallels in historical and classical texts that refers to it being used for a a whole host of medical functions, including the inducement of sweating uh, or to calm the nerves. So this uh, relationship in the original uh, excavation uh, volume was was seen as quite keen. However, in terms of the late Iron Age context, uh, these strainer bowls have been seen in more of a kind of feasting role that the strainer bowls have uh, in other contexts uh, been found to have uh, the remains of beer in them. Uh, and artemisia has been used in other contexts to flavor wine as well. So maybe we need to you know, think about this in a slightly different way, which is that these items serve the dual role where they were also uh, an aspect of feasting. Um, ritual feasting uh, related to kind of social context in the late iron age, are related to more power structures occurring uh, and the formations of communities, particularly in opeda sites where we see this burial. Um, We also need to look at the possibility that this was uh, uh, maybe associated with funeral feasting, which has been paralleled in other burials in the Iron Age. Uh, And there was a platter of um, cups and plates, which were also uh, uh, found in the grave, and there might be an aspect there of uh, last feasting rites of the dead. Moving on to the magical items, uh, this is two sets of uh, of aspects were uh, considered potentially magical. These uh, iron and brass rods, there were eight of them, four long and four short. They form these nice coherent uh, pairs in each material. And these eight rings, which you see on the right-hand side here, which were found together almost stacked on top of one another as well. The rods themselves were interpreted potentially as Uh, representing some sort of divination, Um, and this uh, quote by Tacitus at the bottom here uh, talks about the casting of lots uh, in order to um, uh, predict the future and potentially call on uh, spirits and the gods in order to help, Um, and potentially that might have been a strong association with undertaking some of these medical procedures. we see parallels in other medieval uh, burials of short sticks like this mostly uh, in wood rather than metal and they're considered wands so I think the context of the of the burial is quite important um, but some of the objects also share similarities to stylus uh, they have that flat uh, flattened end on one or two of the objects uh, and literacy potentially forms a role here it's a, a strong um, uh, theme in the late Iron Age, particularly when it comes to coinage um, and with a pretty literate society, potentially the ability to write may have been seen as something as, as, of a mystical or magical or uh, as part of kind of wider belief systems. The rings themselves have been argued to represent terrets, which are uh, horse trappings, uh, the elements of the, the bridle of the horses. Uh, As you can see from this image, they are quite different, and they likely were collected over a lifetime as well, or over several lifetimes, much in the same way the surgical instruments may have. And um, the context in which they were found is very interesting. They appear to have been uh, joined together by a small piece of leather and then attached to a piece of wood. So the the potential there is, is that they may have been used together potentially as a rattle, uh, where they were joined together, uh, and there's been uh, uh, parallels with uh, musical instruments in the late Iron Age, although they mostly um, wind musical instruments rather than uh, rattles such as these. But in other contexts, rattles have been used to uh, ward off evil spirits and uh, and protect the dead. So this may have been a, a, a possible alternative use of this uh, implement. There are a number of uh, items in the grave, and I think this is one that's just uh, worth bear mentioning, maybe not because it fits into a, a magical or, or medical category, but also because it fits into the wider belief systems. The first being this, this game board, as you can see here, and I've drawn the outline on that photo because it's quite hard to see. It was made of wood and it had uh, eroded over time it formed an important aspect of the burial because the cremated human remains were placed on top of it, as were a number of pieces of the surgical toolkit, as were a number of the iron rods that were seen as as potential divination rods. And there's been many uh, studies talking about the symbolic association of of game boards and life and death, the progression of a game, uh, journey through life. And it appears from the depositional uh, activities in the grave that we can see that there were a number of moves made at the beginning of the game that didn't finish. And maybe this was uh, a, a parallel to life and death in the period. Um, a modern example might be uh, the, the movie The Seventh Seal where death uh, is, uh, is playing a game of chess against uh, the person. And we see that kind of uh, parallel in, in other cultures as well. Moving on to performance, so this was a larger scale analysis, essentially, which looked at the Stanway enclosures, as you can see on the left there, but it was a very detailed and occupied site, and there was a number of earthworks that split the settlement to the areas of burial at Stanway. So we undertook some quite detailed analysis, uh, experiential analysis, i.e. on the ground, looking at some of the the routes through the landscapes to understand how people may have moved through the landscape and moved to the site. Um, we used some LIDAR analysis as well uh, and looked at the position of the earthworks as they survive in the landscape today um, and we concluded that potentially uh, people moved from sites within the settlement along a stream bed which uh, is quite flooded in the winter so that potentially suggests seasonal activity and it may have uh, branched from a, a spring that's found on the inside of the settlement along the stream and then up to to the, uh, the the site itself. And that's important because of the ritual con- connotations in the late Iron Age with water and in earlier periods as well. Uh, and then this may have been part of the wider process in order to, uh, to undertake the burial of the dead. So what I wanted to do with uh, the research as well was to try and reconstruct as best I could uh, how the burial may have undertaken, how the supernatural may have, uh, um, may have, uh, have occurred. So this is my attempt, uh, uh, a slight narrative of what's going on, and, and how, it may have, uh, uh, how the, the grave may have ended there. So we start with the uh, procession. The bodies transported from the spring within the settlement along the course of the stream and up the hill to the burial enclosures. The body is then displayed or stored within the enclosure while the pyre site is constructed and then laid onto the pyre and the pyre itself is lit. The cremation process takes some time, perhaps six to seven hours and the site's left to burn out and cool, potentially overnight. Um, The next day, the grave has been dug and some of the cremated remains of the deceased are collected and brought to the graveside to meet the mourners who have brought the grave goods. The grave goods are deposited in the grave in a specific order. The game board is laid out, several early moves made, the cremated remains laid on top of the board, and they're followed by one of the divination rods, and then the surgical instruments. Several smaller rods are cast over the items, and the remainder are placed in a bundle in the grave. The rattle, shaken to ward off evil spirits, are placed in the grave also, and the items are covered in a textile substance. A series of cups and platters filled with food and drink as offerings are placed at the other end of the grave, as well as the strainer bowl and the pan. The burial ends. An oak board is placed over the grave. A full amphora is placed in the grave as well. The mourners disperse while the, the site is uh, covered over by a mound of earth. But potentially commemoration is sometimes later, perhaps a year or two, the mourners process again along the line of the stream and gather at the site. They consume food and drink uh, ceremoniously and break uh, the cups and throw them into the, uh, the ditch that surrounds the enclosure. I think the process of the kind of analysis of this site, one of the reoccurring themes that I wanted to share was that of memory. Uh, memory uh, uh, occurs in many different ways and we see this in the context of this site because we don't have a written history of the site in the late Iron Age, but we have more of a prehistory uh, oral traditions, which may have lasted two, three hundred years, and uh, are passed down from one to another. And part of this oral tradition is through practice, is through the agency and structure in which people undertake their uh, interactions with space and place, and undertake these burials. But these memories are also different, and they're persistent in different ways. The site itself had a midline age origin uh, and a later Iron Age burial ground there were ceremonies between events, there was revisiting to the site. But there was also my individual memories. I visited this site when it was excavated when I was 17 years old, and this led in part to me being uh, an archeologist today. And the site itself only exists in memory because the site has now been destroyed and, and it's now a, a gravel extraction site. So I feel memory is an important aspect. So just to conclude, uh, archeology span allows us to understand some of these complex burial rites But it requires us to think beyond one scale, beyond the burial or the site or the landscape. Uh, And it requires us to understand how memory works and how that was passed down. Uh, And I think through uh, constructing constructing a compelling narrative to discuss these vivid stories, we need to maintain the accuracy of the archaeological record, but hopefully tell something that is important for others. Thank you very much.